Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for joining the tribe. If you ever stop to think about what the implications of the story of Jesus really unfold for us. It's, it's fairly dramatic. I mean, we, we, we know that there are certain emotions that this time of the year evoke in us. Emotions of, of, of hope and joy, of family, of community, of celebration, of generosity. But if you were going to look at this moment from a strategic perspective, it seems like a really bad idea. After all, if, if you're God and you're everywhere at all times trying to get the attention of every person who has ever lived, why in the world would you limit yourself by coming to one place at one time and be limited inside of the skin of one person, even if he's God? It just seems like a bad strategy. I, I think people pick that up intuitively. I've never met anyone who wasn't drawn in or warmed by the narrative of Jesus. There's this extraordinary possibility that, that God actually loves humanity. That, that, that God, in all of his love, in all of his compassion, in all of his graciousness, has stepped into human history on our behalf. I mean, after all, if, if there's a story of God that we would be inclined to embrace, that we should openly long for, is that God took all the initiative on our behalf. It's a great story, isn't it? I mean, every other story of every other God is not so gracious. It's all about what we need to do to get that God's attention, much less to get that God's favor. But the story of Jesus is all about God coming to us, coming for us so that he could pour out his favor and his grace and his generosity and his loving kindness on all of us. It's an incredible story, but it's a terrible strategy. After all, whenever you talk to someone about Jesus, one of the principal questions that emerges is, well, how can Jesus be the only way? What about the person in India? Everyone is concerned about India. Or if they're a little more nuanced, they say, what about the person in Nepal? And they'll pick some obscure place. Or, or, or what we really mean is, what about the person that not even TripAdvisor advises? 
that person who lives in that place where no one goes. How about that person in that place? Because after all, if Jesus is God and he has come for me, if he's come for us, then it has to be that he's come for everyone. And so the question makes sense. Well, how can he be the only way? How can he be even the way when that person in India or Nepal or, or Kuala Lumpur or wherever they may be has never heard his name or doesn't know his story or doesn't know his offer, even if that offer is real? And it is odd to me that usually the person who has complete access to the person of Jesus, to the story of Jesus, and to the gift of Jesus, who's asking the question on behalf of someone else. It creates in our mind this this difficult impasse. Is there a distance that's too far for God? Is there a person who has ever lived that had the misfortune of being born somewhere whose distance was too far for God. Of course, this question assumes so many things. It assumes that we are at the center of the story of God. That what, it, what is happening in L.A. is what God's all about. And so we ask this question from here because we know that God is here with us. But what about Nepal? Because unfortunately, the people in Nepal were born on the outside of God's story, not like us. We're born in the middle of God's story. It never occurs to us that the epicenter of God's activity may actually be in India and in Nepal, and we're just experiencing the fringes of God's activity all the way over here. See, I want to talk to you tonight about the distance that matters. Because the way we talk about the people on this planet in relationship to God, it's as if God has way too much territory to cover. And then you think about this strategy of Jesus, the strategy of God choosing a moment in time in human history, a place in time on this large, immense planet of ours. And then for God either to have chosen a strategy that forgets about the rest of us or neglects the rest of us, because after all, if he came for one, he had to come for all. And if he did not come for all, he did not come for any. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of Herod. Do you ever wonder why all the mundane, boring stuff is in there? Just cut to the important part. Don't, don't, don't give us a history lesson. But the reason the scriptures continuously give us history lessons is that this is more than a myth. It is more than a fable. It is more than the story. It is history. And he wants us to know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a real place. In Judea, a real place. During the time of Herod, or King Herod, a real time. That there was a real time and a real place where God crashed into human history and walked among us. It says, in that time, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Well, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the scene that has been forever carried by generation after generation after generation. It's the nativity. And if you have the same tradition we have at, at our home, I mean, we, we put up a Christmas tree every year. We, we, we have our little rituals every Christmas. I put up the lights. Aaron helps a little. And, and then the kids put up the ornaments, and Kim directs. And then after they're finished, Kim takes them off and puts them on the way she wants them. <laughs> we have our, our family traditions of how we, we do things. And Kim is Christmas at home, and then Mariah is secondary Christmas because she's the daughter and she's the mother, so there's always a place in the process. Although Mariah is Mrs. Christmas. And as we experience it together, then we put up the nativity scene. Well, I try to put up outside lights until they all burn out one by one. But I try to ignore that. But, and, and what we don't really talk about is the nativity. Kim puts up the nativity scene. We've had different ones over the years, but the nativity scene is pretty straightforward. You know the characters in that story. You know the characters in that image. You, 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 you have a manger. And it looks really romantic and beautiful. It looks sort of like a, a B&B. And we should be fortunate it's not a scratch and sniff nativity scene because they would not smell like cinnamon and vanilla, but cow and horse. And in that nativity, there are always some sheep and shepherds watching over those sheep. If you have the upgraded version of the nativity, you have a cow and a horse. No pigs. And then behind the center piece of that nativity, you have an angel or two or maybe even three overseeing the activity of God in human history. And of course, over to the other side, you have these three magi. And everyone knows there are three of them, even though the scriptures never tell us there are three of them. But we know there are three different kinds of gifts. There were gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so we assume no one would show up without a gift. So we know there was three of them. Could have been one guy bringing three gifts or, and two guys just sort of hanging out going, okay, you, I, you got it covered, but there they are. And since we're not really comfortable, by the way, of what magi actually are, we call them the three kings. In Spanish, we, we have the day of the kings. And, and so we have three kings, but the Bible never tells us they're kings. In fact, there's nothing that would ever lead us to believe they're kings. We just have to make them kings because we know they're magi. 
sometimes we, we change the meaning of words when we don't like what words mean. Like, like the word baptism, for instance. I mean, I, I was born Roman Catholic, and so I was baptized as an infant. And I don't remember that because I was an infant. And they sprinkled me for health reasons. They didn't immerse me because that's considered child abuse. And so they just sprinkled a little water on my head. That was called baptism. But you see, when they were translating the scriptures into English, they had a problem with this word baptismo because the word baptismo actually means immersion. But they didn't want to translate the word to actually mean what it means because they were no longer doing what it means. So they had to actually just transliterate the word and say, well, it just means this. See, what what happens when a word actually carries a meaning that we're not comfortable with is we change the meaning of that word, like, I love you. I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) We take words and we demean them rather than allow them to have their meaning. And we're okay with the shepherds. Even though the people who were the people of the Messiah, the people of Israel would not be okay with shepherds being present at the birth of the Messiah, much less in the presence of God. Shepherds were were social outcasts, and for them to be in this picture already defies everything they would understand about this moment. But magi, magi make it worse. See, the word magi is from the same etymology as the word magician. See, if you have a nativity in your house, you have angels, you have shepherds, they're all looking at Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus, but right to the side of them, you have three magicians (laughs) who've worked their way into the story of God. And if you trace back their story, these magi are not even from the right religion. They're not Hebrews or the people of Israel. They're not of the people of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They are followers of Zoroastrianism. They are Persians from the region of the world we know as Iran. They believe in a different mythology. They believe in a different God. The story of Jesus at this point is not supposed to be their story. And the magi, the magicians, were known as alchemists. They were known as alchemists. They were supposed to have magical powers. They could take common elements and turn them into precious elements like gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they were not reading the words of Moses or the words of Isaiah to discover that there was a Messiah coming into the world. They were doing what alchemists do, what magi do. They were looking to the stars to understand their fate and their future. They were astrologers. So not only were they sorcerers, they were astrologers. Not only were they not looking to the scriptures, but to the stars for their fate. They were studying the zodiacs to understand the activity of God in human history. And they saw a star because that's where they're always looking 
to see what God might be doing or saying. And they began to follow that star. I remember when the Harry Potter books first came out. There was so much controversy among Christian moms. (laughs) Can't let my baby read Harry Potter. Harry Potter is about witchcraft. Those are witches. You can call him Harry Potter, but he's a witch. He's a sorcerer. He's an alchemist. He's a magi. I remember that day when I took my little kids. I was so unsuspecting because I don't have the theological rooting that my wife does. And I said, honey, do you want to go see Harry Potter with me and the kids? She goes, you're not taking my children to see Harry Potter. I said, what? She goes, that's witchcraft. We're not going to go see Harry Potter. I said, well, you may not be going to see Harry Potter, but we have no conviction against that. (laughs) If only I had seen it more clearly than I could have said to her, don't you understand? Harry Potter was at the nativity scene. (laughs) There's Hermione. Whoever the other guy is. What are magi doing at the birth of God? But it's not just telling who was there, it's telling who was not. So magi came from the east of Jerusalem asking the question, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? I I love that question. They didn't even ask, where's the one who was born the king of humanity? The king of the magi, the king of the Zoroastrians, the king of the Persians. They ask, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? And by the way, their their question, clearly by their actions, was not a statement that they did not want him to be their king. It was a statement that they were not sure that he would be their king. They wanted to embrace him. They didn't know if he would embrace them. Because if they were looking at the people of God, they would think that God would want to have nothing to do with them. What I love about this moment is that they didn't have to be invited to the party. They just showed up. You ever been a wedding crasher? This is a birth of God crasher. They crashed the most important party ever thrown in human history. Said, we don't care. We don't have an invitation. We know he's the king of the Jews. And we know we're not Jews. But we're showing up anywhere. Do you know where the party is? It's, it's a rave. There's no address. No one knows. If you don't know, you don't belong there. You know how that plays out. We, have, we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. See, this is the defining narrative of the Magi. See, when I was searching for God, a part of my insane search was that I I began to not only study every philosophy I could get my hands on and began to study every religion I could get access to, but I actually went to stay with people who were from different religions and different belief systems. I'm one of the few people, I think, in the world who has actually been to a Zoroastrian temple. There is a Zoroastrian temple here in Southern California. I've been there. Because you see, as I was searching for God and I was trying to make sense of who God was, I discovered this obscure religion 
of Zoroastrianism. And I thought it was so odd that in this ancient religion, generations older than the birth of Jesus, there was a story in the midst of their theology that one day a deliverer would come and he would be born of a virgin. In the middle of that religion, God laced some of his own truth so that those who had the eyes to see could see and those who had the ears to hear would hear and those who had the heart to know would find the God who was searching for them. Do you know where the one who was born, the king of the Jews is? We saw it, his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. But what a contrast. So he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they answered right away. They knew exactly where this was to happen. It says, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the moment the Magi asked the question, do you know where the one will be born. He calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they all know exactly what scripture points to Jesus. They already know how the story is going to play out. It's going to be in Bethlehem. This is where the king is going to be born. And it disturbed them. I think it's fascinating that the people who were actually entrusted with the scriptures, the people who knew who Moses was, The people who knew who Isaiah was, the people who knew their words, the people who had the prophecies and the promises from God were disturbed that God may have crashed into human history and fulfilled his word. But those Zoroastrian magicians, magi, they were searching for him to worship him. Wouldn't it be crazy if we uh, actually told the story of the nativity, the way it actually happened. Do you notice who's not there? Here here we have the nativity, and these magi are searching for Jesus. And have you ever just wished that God would just sort of show up in your life and pull you to where he is? Have you ever even felt frustrated going, how come that person experiences God, but I never get to experience God? Ever felt like you left the room too soon or got there too late? You know what I'm talking about? You, you're the guy who arrives and there's only pizza boxes, but no pizza. <laughs> See, there's some of you here and all you have is religion, but you've never experienced the life transforming presence of the creator of the universe. You just keep showing up too soon or too late. And here the magi are on their way to find the creator of the universe when he steps into human history, born of a virgin. And Herod calls together his high, his chief priests and his teachers of the law. They said, they're right. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Herod knows enough to say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Will you go and find him and let me know so I can worship him too? But he doesn't bother to go because he will not be inconvenienced for, to go on a search for God. Because he's terrified that God will place him as king. And he will.
these three kings were ready to place their crowns at his feet. But this one king would do everything he could to end the intention of God in human history. Do you know who's not at the nativity? There's no King Herod. Anybody have a nativity scene with a King Herod? I don't think so. You know who else is not there? There are no chief priests. How strange that the coming of the Messiah, that this classic, timeless image of the coming of God, of the coming of the Messiah, of the coming of the Christ, of the coming of Jesus. See, even if we don't believe, shouldn't they have believed? They're not there. There's not one chief priest at the nativity. There's not one teacher of the law at the nativity. The shepherds made it. The magi made it. The sheep made it. (laughs) But the chief priests, the high priests, the teachers of the law, the ones that had the scriptures entrusted to them, the ones who grew up hearing the words of God, didn't make it. What about the person in Iran? Or the person who doesn't have the privilege of being born in Jerusalem? What about the person who doesn't have the privilege of being born a Jew and they happen to be born a Zoroastrian? What what about them? How could Jesus be the only way? What about about them? What, What if I was born Buddhist or Hindu? Well, what if I was born Baptist and I had nothing but bad experiences and so I ran from God? What if I was born Roman Catholic and it left me empty? What, what, what if I'm an atheist or an agnostic depending on the day and how my girlfriend is treating me? What, what, <laughs> well, what about if I came from somewhere so far away and, and there's so many of us that have convinced ourselves that there's too far a distance between us and God? And I'm convinced the reason we bring up the person in India when we are confronted by the nearness of God is that we're actually hiding our distance from God by pointing to someone else's distance. But what this moment in history reminds us of is that the only distance that matters is the one in your heart. I I love that we are in the hands of a God who is not limited to the words he wrote in a book. It's like, if God's out there, why doesn't he just talk to us? You ever felt that? Just say something. And, and, and when I read the scripture, it says that the entire universe declares his glory. It says that everything that is created is screaming at you. Don't you get it? Every sunrise, every sunset, every star in the sky... Every waterfall, every ounce of dirt on this ground, everything that's created is declaring the glory of God and telling us that we're created for relationship with him. Because, yeah, yeah, but that's too obscure. Yeah, it's really odd. It's, it, it's too obscure that God is speaking to us through the universe, except for people who don't believe in God, but believe in the universe. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, just got to be in touch with the universe. 
going, wow, how strange it is that, that the universe communicates more clearly to us than the God who created the universe. See, the universe isn't having an independent conversation with you. The universe is only declaring what God de- had it declare, that you were created for him. Yeah, but I need a more specific conversation from God. So then he writes the scriptures. Yeah, no, that's way too specific. That's getting like intrusively specific into my own personal space. I need God to be more general. And that's why sometimes we like what the universe is saying. Because we can pretend the universe isn't saying what it's saying. But it's hard to pretend that the scriptures aren't saying what they're saying. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in the scriptures. I'm not really sure if that's even what God is saying. And what I love about God is that he, he, can, he can speak clearly enough through a star to a person who knows nothing about them. Nothing about him. If their heart's longing is to know him. There aren't enough languages that God can create to get you to listen to him if you don't want to know what he's saying. But if you long in your heart to know him, to close the distance between you and God, if you are determined at all cost to find him and allow him to find you, I want to tell you that there are, enough, there are not enough languages in the universe to stop God from getting to you. See, there are some people, they're, they're more like shepherds. They, they feel like, I don't deserve to be in his presence, but if I'm invited, I'm coming. But let's be really honest. There are a lot of us that become like Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and high priests that we hide behind our religion to keep our distance from each other and from God. Maybe if the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the chief priests had shown up at the birth of Jesus 33 years later, they would not have been determined to kill him. Or maybe the very thing in their heart that laid them determined to kill him is why they didn't show up on the scene. Because Herod... He said, let me know where he's at so I too can worship him. I I love the fact that these magi find Jesus through a star. And I am absolutely convinced Jesus will move heaven and earth to get your attention. And I don't care if you're in Mississippi or Kuala Lumpur. It doesn't matter if you're in Burbank. God help you. (laughs) Or in Bangladesh. Jesus is there. He may not want to be there. (laughs) But he's there. He's close, as close as the breath that you breathe. And these magi, they follow the star, and then they hear in the dream, don't go back to Herod. His heart is not sincere. I I think sometimes we, we feign our desire to find God. But the truth is we just want to be God. And God becomes disturbing to us because he will speak into our lives things we don't want to hear. 
Because he has to speak those things we don't want to hear so that we can hear those things we desperately need to hear. And they find Jesus. And it says, when they saw the star over the place where he was, they were overjoyed. This is how you can know the motive of your search. If when you come to realize that Jesus stepped into human history, that God himself chose to come into real time, into a real place, take on flesh and blood and walk among us, not so that he would limit how many people could find him, but so that every person would have the opportunity to know him. They were overjoyed. And on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then after they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I never want to be the person God has to whisper to someone else, don't go back to him. He's not searching for me. I want to be that person that God picks up on the road. See, is it possible that there are people in your life right now, they're like the magi, they're, they're magic. They're on a search for God, and the reason they have invaded your life is they're trying to bring you on their pilgrimage with them. And the reason God brought them into your life is so that you have an opportunity to step into a place where you can know the God who loves you. See, my, my question today is very simple. Would you end up being a piece on the nativity? Or would you be absent from the scene? That's the invitation that we're given. That's why Jesus has come. That's why he chose to step into time and space, not to limit, but to make limitless his invitation of grace and love and forgiveness. There is no distance between you and God that cannot, that has not already been covered by the distance Jesus traveled when he walked this earth, when he was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And so I want you to know, it doesn't matter where you've been, where you've come from. It doesn't matter where your journey started or how difficult it's been. I want you to know that here in this moment, there is a God who's so near to you that the only distance that matters is the distance in your heart. And God is waiting. He's waiting for us, for you and for me, to open our lives to him and allow him to close that gap. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together what we could never do alone. Go to mosaic.org give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.